We're continuing chapter one in the uh, uh, section of uh, this book called Seeds, Names and Symbols. So we're going through various uh, uh, definitions and um, synonyms for Nibbana. So this is uh, beginning at reading number uh, 1.8. Enraptured with lust, raga, enraged with anger, dosa, blinded by delusion, moha, overwhelmed with mind ensnared, people aim at their own ruin, at the ruin of others, at the ruin of both, and they experience mental pain and grief. But if lust and anger and delusion are given up, one aims neither at one's own ruin, nor at the ruin of others, nor at the ruin of both, and they experience no mental pain and grief. Thus is Nibbāna visible in this life, immediate, inviting, attractive, and comprehensible to the wise. <clears throat> so this is a um, uh, so one of the clear instances where it's talking about uh, Nibbāna not as some kind of after-death state of any kind, <coughs> but rather uh, in this very life, when uh, the mind is, as it says, uh, <coughs> free of uh, raga, dosa, and moha, of lust, anger, and delusion, then uh, that is synonymous with the um, experience of, of Nibbāna, so Nibbāna here and now. And also it's notable that um, it says Nibbāna visible in this life, and it uses the same kind of language as, it, uh, as it's used to describe the Dhamma. Uh, Sanditiko ehipasiko opanaiko pachatang viditabo vinyuhi, which we recite very uh, regularly every day in the chanting as qualities of the Dhamma. Sanditiko, apparent here and now, akaliko, timeless. Ehipasiko, uh, <coughs> inviting investigation. Opanaiko, attractive or leading inwards. Pachatang viditabo vinyuhi, which is comprehensible, to be experienced by each wise person for themselves. So this, um, uh, in that instance, or in that, in that expression, you can see that that uh, uh, Realization of the Dhamma is synonymous with the experience of Nibbāna. So when the mind sees the true nature of, of reality, of its own reality and uh, of all things, then the experience of that, that seeing, the, uh, the, the felt sense of that, that seeing is Nibbāna or uh, peacefulness. Then the next reading. Just as a rock of one solid mass remains unshaken by the wind, even so... Neither visible forms, nor sounds, nor odors, nor tastes, nor bodily impressions, neither the desired nor the undesired can cause such a one to waver. Steadfast is their mind, gained is deliverance. So uh, uh, it kind of follows on uh, in, in terms of the theme from that previous uh, passage, whereby when the mind has uh, say, arrived at that quality of um, Clarity of realizing Dhamma and that uh, the um, uh, say the experience of uh, Nibbana is is uh, thoroughly established. Then there's this quality of, of unshakability, uh, or uh, uh, as it says, just as a rock of one solid mass remains unshaken by the wind. So that as the wind blasts a, a mountain, the mountain is is un, unshaken. So then there's this uh, profound quality of non-entanglement. Is that? I like to use in terms of 
the sense world, so that there's seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. The, the mind is not disengaged from the senses. It's not um, dissociated from the sense world. It's not sort of inhabiting some kind of inner space that where seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking is switched off. The, the, the mind is is uh, open to and attuned to the the realm of visible forms. But there's that quality of, of unwaveringness. There's a a, um, a sense of of uh, I say a freedom from whatever the um, the sense world is producing, as he says, whether it's the desired or the undesired. And it is also um, related to a, a passage where the Buddha is uh, talking about his own uh, his own internal experience, and he's. Uh, Speaking to Vajragata, this is one of my favorite passages uh, at the moment, <laughs> where the Buddha uh, is talking about his own internal experience of, of awareness to, to Vajragata, who was a, a wanderer who used to come and visit the Buddha quite regularly. And he said, uh, the Tathagata has abandoned any material form, feeling, perception, mental formations of consciousness. Uh, the Tathagata has abandoned any of those five khandas uh, whereby one wishing to describe the Tathagata could describe him. He has cut it off at the root, made it like a palm tree stump, deprived it of the conditions for existence, and rendered it incapable of arising in the future. Uh, the Tathagata is liberated from being, uh, from being reckoned in terms of material form, feeling, perceptions, mental formations, consciousness. He is profound, immeasurable, unfathomable, like the ocean. So that... Uh, the, in that you have the same sense of, of um, the, the Tathagata, the, the, the Buddha's mind, is aware of the world of things and is connected, uh, attuned to the world of things, but is completely unidentified with that and have this kind of very emphatic language, cut it off at the root, made it like a palm tree stump. You know, and if a palm tree is cut, it can't grow anymore. It's not like a, a, a chestnut tree. <laughs> you can't coppice a palm tree. If you cut it off, that's it. It can't grow anymore. So uh, <coughs> cut it off like a palm tree stump, uh, and deprived it of the conditions for existence, and rendered it incapable of arising in the future. So that's like, no, finish. The bridge is broken <laughs> down. It's not. It's not. Uh, re- it's not uh, rebuildable. So that um, that uh, this same passage of this uh, um, from the Anguttara, Book of the Sixes, that uh, speaks in terms of a, a rock unshaken by the wind. It's got that same kind of sense of that the mind is uh, is attuned is uh, uh, say aware of the, the world of senses and is uh, say fully in harmony with it but is unshaken by whatever is going on in the sense world so now we come on to a long list of synonyms for the uh, for nibbana and um, <coughs> i uh, quoted here a passage um, from the the end of the the chapter in the uh, Nyanamoli's Life of the Buddha, it's a chapter uh, called the Doctrine, and uh, the the way he closes that chapter is by sort of uh, dis- listing these different epithets or different terms describing um, the uh, the goal of the spiritual life. So I just uh, uh, printed the list here that uh, Venerable Nyanamoli has. So what he's done is that the the forty-third um, book of the Sangyutta Nikaya is called the Asankata Sangyutta. So it's the connected discourses about the unconditioned. And um, what Venerable Nyanamoli has done is sort of gone through that chapter. There's a, a long series of 
of short suttas, and, and in each of those suttas, there's different um, synonyms are used for, for Nibbana, for the, the goal of the holy life. And so he's sort of extracted all of those and put them into a kind of a, a neat list, and that's how he closes his uh, chapter in the, uh, the, uh, of, on, on the doctrine in the life of the Buddha. So it's page 257 in the hardback edition that uh, I was looking at, anyway. <laughs> so the, uh, the life, Nyanamoli's Life of the Buddha is uh, my favorite Dhamma book of all. <clears throat> so I highly recommend anyone who's um, uh, wishing to uh, deepen their understanding, both of the, not only the life story of the Buddha, but also the Buddha's teachings and the essential principles of Dhamma. It's a fantastic resource. And so this is the, the way he finishes that chapter. So uh, what I put down here was the, the, the list of the English uh, translations as he has them, but we also included the Pali that they come from. So I'll just read these through first of all, and then I'll go on to a, 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 another reading that um, elaborates these and others. Cessation of greed, of hatred, and of delusion is the unformed, the unconditioned, Asankata, the end, anatta, the taintless, anasava, the truth, sacha, the other shore, para, the subtle, nipunna, the very hard to see, suddudasa, the unweakening, ajajjara, the everlasting, dhuva, the undisintegrating, appalokita, the invisible, anidasana, the undiversified, nipapancha, peace, santa, the deathless, amata, the supreme goal, panita, the blessed, siva, safety, kema, exhaustion of craving, tanha kaya, the wonderful, acharya, that's not, that's not as acharya as in teacher, that's acharya, a-double-c-h-a-r-i-y-a, acharya, the marvelous Abhuta, non-distress Anitika, Anitika, the naturally non-distressed Anitika Dhamma, Nibbana, non-affliction or unhostility, Abhaya Bhajja, fading of lust, Viraga, purity, Suddhi, freedom, Muti, independence of reliance, Analayo, the island, Dipa, the shelter, Lena, the harbor, Tana, the refuge, sarana, the beyond, parayana, parayana. So you won't be tested on all of these. So, <laughs> so uh, uh, the um, so there's uh, section forty-three uh, of the Sangyutta Nikaya. So that's there's copies of that in the library if you want to look at these in more detail. So uh, I uh, when I was working on this. We had uh, a, a bhikkhu living at the Abhayagiri Monastery, where uh, Ajahn Pasana and I were living together, um, called Venerable Hasapanyo. And so when I was uh, <coughs> doing some readings on this, um, it came into conversation, well, you know, the, this, this is a pretty comprehensive list, but there are also quite a few other uh, words that are used to describe uh, Nibbana or the unconditioned or the, the goal of the holy life. And so... Uh, uh, we got into a conversation during that reading, and, uh, and so Venerable Hasapanya is an extremely quiet monk. He's a, a very, um, very non-talkative, but also very studious. And uh, he said, um, 
I could uh, go through the suttas and, and see what other uh, examples I can find. So the rest of this list that he, that's here um, was uh, uh, courtesy of Venerable Hasapanyo's researches. So I'll just quickly read through, through, the, through these. Um, in addition to these epithets, there are numerous others employed by the Buddha throughout the Pali Canon. For example, the everlasting, Achanta, the unmade, Akata, the endless, Ananta, the cessation of suffering, Dukkakaya, the freedom from longing, Anasa, the uncreated, Asankara, the beyond, Para, deliverance, Moka, cessation, Niroda, the absolute, Kevala, the law, Pada, the deathless, Achuta, the lasting, Akkara, release, Vimutta, liberation, Vimutti, total completion, Appavagga, Freedom from bondage, yoga kema, stillness, santi, purity, visuti, alayment, nibuti, the unborn, ajata, the unoriginated, abhuta, freedom from lust, vitaraga, the destruction of the passions, kinasava, the unconditioned element, asankatadatu, and the standstill of the cycle of existence, vivatta. These terms are all ways of referring to the same essential and ineffable quality. Such a variety of expression was needed since even the Buddha acknowledged that it was hard to convey the realization of truth in words. So I'll carry on with that in a little bit. So, uh, just uh, recently, while I was in Thailand at Wat Pananachat, another quiet and studious monk uh, who had been reading the island said, um, Ajahn, are you familiar with this article that was written in the Buddhist Publication Society newsletter in 2006? And I said, uh, uh, what's that? He said, well, it, um, it also is a, an article about all of the different epithets for Nibbana. And this was uh, published in 2006, so it was when we were working on this book. This was published in 2009. So this existed. Uh, I believe it was written by um, the Venerable Nyana Tusita, who is a Dutch bhikkhu who now is the editor of um, Buddhist Publication Society in Sri Lanka after Bhikkhu Bodhi retired from that. Ben Nyana Tusita took over. He doesn't put his name on this particular article, but it's kind of exactly the same material and, uh, and much more comprehensive. And not only that, but he's also divided it up into separate categories. So I thought, wow, <laughs> he did a much better job than I did. <laughs> And me and Antan Hasapanyo together, and uh, how convenient. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's him calling. <laughs> so uh, <coughs> so um, what I thought I would do, uh, so uh, uh, this is the only copy I have of this. It might exist in the library as well. It's, it's the um, uh, second mailing of the 2006 so uh, issue number 56 of the BPS newsletter. Um, so this, uh, I won't read out the whole article, but I'll just read the, um, uh, the, the list. He covers much of the same terms, but also gives it a few more definitions. He gives pseudo-references for all of them, which is amazing. And um, also he comes up with, a, there's 155 altogether. So he uh, improved on my, uh, my count quite considerably. And uh, so again, this, uh, uh, I'd like to make a, a, a file copy of this for, for our records, like a computer file copy 
um, as I only have this paper copy at the moment, but uh, um, I'm after this reading, I'm happy to, to leave this here for people to pass around if they want to, to uh, take a look at it. So, so I'm, I believe, as I said, I believe this is Venerable Jana Tusita. It's, he's the editor of this, this um, journal, and he hasn't put a, a title for the author of this article, so I'm, I'm guessing it's him. It should be noted that Nibbana is not necessarily the primary epithet given for the final aim of Buddhist practice, although it is the most commonly used one. In the Asankata Sangyutta, which I just was referring to, Nibbana is only given as the 34th in a list of 44 epithets, starting with the unconditioned Asankata. In order to facilitate the contemplation of the qualities of Nibbana, I have prepared a list which comprises all epithets that can be found within the limits of the main texts of the Sutta Pitika. There are more epithets in later exegetical texts, such as the Nidesa, the Patisambhida Magga, the Neti, and so forth. The epithets listed refer only to the state of Nibbana, not to the state of the Arahant, although some epithets are used for both states. For example, in the suttas, anasava is normally used as an attribute of the arahant. There are many epithets used just for the arahant. For example, aneja, like venerable anejo, who's not here, aneja, which means unshakable, and akinshna, as in venerable akinshna, who's also not here, which means not owning anything. Uh, they are, these do not denote the state of nibbana, at least not in the main canonical texts. To make a list of the epithets of the Arahant would require another, much larger article. For convenience, the epithets have been divided uh, into sections of epithets sharing a common focus. So the first section is called Stillness and Peace. So Upasama, stillness or the calm. Paramasanti, the ultimate peace. Anuttara Santivarapada, the unexcelled state of sublime peace. Sabha Sankara Samata, the calming of all conditions. That was a term it was talking about yesterday, also sometimes translated as the stilling of all formations. So Sabha Sankara Samata, and that Samata is the same as Samata meditation, calming or uh, uh, tranquility meditation. Anarambha, the exertionless. Pasadhi, the serene or the tranquil. And the second section is called non-conflict or solitude. Viveka and paviveka, the solitude or the seclusion. Asambhada, the, uncrowd, uh, the uncrowded, which is interesting. The uncrowded. Asapata, that which is without rivalry. Nirupatapa, the untroubled or that which is without vexation. Akalita, the faultless. Then the next section is called security. Kema, the secure. Anuttara yoga kema, the unexcelled security from bondage. Sarana, the refuge. Nisarana, the escape. Tana, the shelter or the protection. Abhaya, that which is free from fear. Akutobhaya, that which has no fear from anywhere. Deepa, the island. Lena, the shelter. Titha, the landing place or the harbour, 
parimang tirang kemang apatti bhayang. The further shore, safe and free from danger. Nityana, the way out or the deliverance. The next section is called happiness, relief or the end of suffering. Paramasukha, the ultimate happiness. Nibbana sukha paramang nati. There is nothing else like the happiness of Nibbana. Susukha, the great happiness. Anuttara vimuti sukha, the supreme peace of release. Samma bhumi sorry, samma bhumi bhaga ramanya, the delightful stretch of level ground. Anitika, the unailing. Avyadhi, the diseaseless. Arogya, the healthy of the freedom from disease, as in aroga kuti, the, we're talking about also yesterday. Pipasa vinaya, the dispelling of thirst. Paramanghita, <laughs> the ultimate welfare. Avyapaja, the freedom from harm. Dukasa anta, the end of suffering. Dukkha niroda, the cessation of suffering. Yata dukang nirujati, where suffering ceases. Dukkakaya, the destruction of suffering. Asoka, sorrowless. Bharani kepana, the putting down of the burden. The next section is freedom. Muti, the freedom. Analaya, that which is not reliant. Vimuti, the release or the, de- the deliverance. Vimoka, the release or deliverance. Sab- Sabaganta pamochana, uh, the freedom from all bonds. Sabasangyojana kaya, the destruction of all fetters. Sabupadi nisaga, the relinquishment of all acquisitions. So in this uh, translation, he has upadi as acquisitions. So this is uh, this very interesting term, upadi. Sometimes it's translated as um, the essentials of existence. Sometimes it's translated as the substratum of rebirth. And here he's got it as acquisitions. So it comes, uh, it's a, an interesting term, and we'll I'll talk about it some more in, in due course, but it's one of those marvelously untranslatable <laughs> uh, terms, but is an essential theme of Dhamma at the same time. And then the last one in this freedom section is Upadhi Sankhaya, the annihilation of all <coughs> acquisitions, or the, the uh, annihilation of Upadhi. Uh, just as a, as a footnote on that, so I was reflecting on upadi today, and so uh, one simple way of getting a sense of what it is is the, I would say it's the addiction to becoming, that in the heart. So an addiction doesn't necessarily have to be active. So you might be addicted to cigarettes, and you're, and you don't have a particular wish for a cigarette, but then you smell some smoke and you go ooh. So the, the, there's a there's a tendency there, or that you. <coughs> You might have given up sugar um, for uh, January yeah. <laughs> after your New Year's. I'm not reading anybody's mind or reading your your notes or your emails, but uh, it might be that after the excesses of the festive season, you're given, you've given up sugar, and then you're not having any problem with sugar, and then you're going on the server and you go, "Ooh, <laughs> you see a particularly kind of attractive cake or something." So the the upadi, I would say, is that that kind of that uh, that sort of latent um, and act- activatable 
um, urge to, to become, and not so much directed to a particular sense object, like, uh, um, say, towards sugar or uh, nicotine or something, but rather <coughs> any form of eye-making and, mind, eye and mind-making, that which affirms the sense of I, or me, or I want, I don't like, I can't stand, or I've had enough of this. That, so it's, um, it's like the addiction to becoming rather than the addiction to sugar or nicotine or, or other more coarse things. So it's that kind of root, ooh, <laughs> that things that, that, that give the I feeling some fuel to, to, um, to, uh, to live off. Okay, so the next section is called permanence or stillness. Amata, the deathless, where there is no death. Ajara, the agingless, or where there is no aging. Jara is aging. Ajara is uh, not aging. Ajara maranapada, the state without aging and death. Asankupa, the unshakable. Asanghira, the indestructible or the immovable. Dhuva, that which is constant, that which is stable. Akampita, that which does not tremble. Um, so um, anukampa, that's interesting. The, the word, another word for compassion, like karuna, is anukampa, which means to tremble uh, or to to resonate with the the, the for the uh, with the suffering of other beings. So um, as sometimes it's translated as uh, to tremble for the welfare of all beings. So uh, when we do the, the Brahma Chaloka chant, Anukampi uh, Mang Pajang, out of compassion for the world, so resonating for the with the, the needs and the and uh, the urge for well-being for for all sentient uh, beings. Achalasuka, the unshakable happiness. Achuta, that which does not pass away. Apalokita, that which does not disintegrate. Anatta. That's not anatta, as in not self, but anatta, A-N-A-T-A, the uninclined. It's like not leaning towards things. Nipapancha, that which is without proliferation. Uh, it's also an epithet of the Buddha. He was also known as Nip, uh, Nipapancha, uh, the Buddha free from complications. Uh, one of the most, uh, actually last year's um, inscription on our greeting card was, was a quote from the Anguttara Nikaya, which was, Apapanchang papancheti, which is a very succinct and helpful statement of the Buddha. Don't complicate the uncomplicated. <laughs> that was a good motto for the new year. Wasn't, didn't do much. Uh, 2016 got pretty complicated on its own. But, uh, but that was the encouragement. Don't complicate the uncomplicated. Nipapancha. Chutupato. Sorry. Chutu Pato Nahoti, where there is no passing away and reappearing. Natiting, Natuting, Natupating, where there is no staying, no passing away, no reappearing. Agati Gati Nahoti, where there is no coming and no going into existence. So those are both um, passages from the Udana, uh, the the first sutra in the uh, uh, eighth chapter of the Udana, that is uh, very frequently quoted by Lumpur Sumato when he's talking about the um, uh, the the Buddha's teaching about the unborn, the unconditioned. He said there is no dying, no appearance, no um, uh, no coming, no going, no standing still. It's, uh, it's that 
they both come from that Udana um, section 8 sutta number 1 and then the last one in this group is yata na jayati na jiyati na miyati na chavati na upajjati where one is not born does not age nor die nor pass away nor arise the next section is called purity suddhi visuddhi purity susuka suka the very pure or the very bright asankileta the undefiled, viraga, the fading away, or that which is without desire, viraja, the stainless, anasava, the taintless, asavakaya, the destruction of taints, nekamma, the renunciation, or the freedom from desire. Then the next section is called other than sangsara, ajata, the unborn, as, uh, or where there is no birth, asamupana, the unarisen, Abhuta, the unbecome, Akata, the unmade, Asankata, the unconditioned or the uncompounded, Yasanati Upama Kavachi, that for which there is no likeness, Natena Dhamena Samma, sorry, Natena Dhamena Samati Kinchi, there is nothing equal to that state, Apati Bhaga, that which is without counterpart, Apati Sarana, that which is without recourse. Disa Agatapuba, the direction never gone before. Para, the far shore. Machudheya Parang, sorry, Machudheya Parang, the far shore of the realm of death. Agati Yata Marasa, where Mara has no access. Anapara, the matchless. Anidasana, the unmanifest. Appamana, that which is measureless, patisotagami, that which is going against the stream, aputujana sevita, that to which worldlings do not resort, apatitita, that which is that which is without support, apavata, that which is that which is without continuation, anaramana, that which is without basis, atakavachara that which is not within the range of thought, sabesu damesu samu hatesu, when all phenomena have been removed, neva idha vahurangwa ubhayam antarena, where there is no here, nor beyond, nor in between. And uh, <coughs> that is also that's a passage from the um, uh, the Udana, also in the um, the, the eighth chapter. Um, where there is no here, no beyond, nor in between. And then the next one, Tadayatanang yata neva patavi na apo na tejo na vayo na akasanan chaya yanang na vinyana chaya tanang na akinchanya yatanang na neva sanyayatanang na yang loko na paraloko na ubho chandima surya that sphere where there is no earth nor water nor fire nor wind nor sphere of endless space nor the sphere of endless consciousness nor the sphere of nothingness nor the sphere of neither perception nor non-perception nor this world nor the other world neither sun nor moon and again that's uh, from that 
first sutta in the eighth chapter of the Udana. So the next section is called cessation. Nirodha, the cessation. Lokanta, the end of the world. Lokanirodha, cessation of the world. Bhavanirodha, the cessation of existence. Yamhi nirujanti bhavani sabhaso, when existences completely cease. Jivitasa sankhaya anyo punabhavo nati, at the annihilation of life there is no other further existence. Nati dani punabhavo, now there is no further existence. Vatu pajheta, the cutting off of the round of rebirth. Sabha the destruction of all kamma. Jati maranasa anta, the end of birth and death. Jara machu parikhaya, the complete destruction of old age and death. Jati kaya, the destruction of birth. Vikino jati sangsaro, the journeying on in births is annihilated. Sangsara vinalikita, sabagati samuchina. The journeying on has been demolished, all destinations have been cut off. Khaya, the destruction. Sakaya, no, no, sakaya niroda, the cessation of identity. That's a, a um, sakaya niroda, like sakaya diti, like in uh, self view. So sakaya niroda is uh, not a particularly common term, but is um, uh, is uh, there appears in a few different suttas. He lay he names. Uh, let's see, one, two, three, four different suttas. It's significant in. Um, when uh, the Buddha is giving advice to uh, Mahanama, who was a relative of his, who was the ruler of the Sakyans, Mahanama has asked him, what advice should I give when people are on their deathbed and they're asking for, um, uh, say, encouragement? Uh, then uh, the uh, the Buddha gives this extensive teaching about encouraging the person to let go of their worldly attachments and let go of the uh, aspiration to go in, to be reborn in the lower heavens and the higher heavens and and uh, uh, in, in succession, it's uh, the whole thing is quoted later on in, in the island. But suffice to say, and he says, but then letting go of the aspiration to be reborn in the Brahma worlds, then they should fix their attention on the cessation of identity. And if they do that, then the liberation of mind of that person, that, uh, that, uh, that lay person, is no different from the liberation of mind of an of someone who's been an arahant, uh, say a monk who's been an arahant for a hundred years. So it's one of the few instances where the Buddha, quite matter of factly, talks about a layperson becoming an arahant, and says that that uh, that quality of liberation is identical. Someone who's been an arahant for a hundred years, or that person on their deathbed, if they fix their attention on the cessation of identity, the liberation is exactly the same. So. I realize there's an awful lot here. For reflection, <laughs> um, but I think I uh, just uh, I'll keep on reading through the the whole list, and uh, we can have some time for picking up particular points when I get to to the end of it. So the next one in this cessation list, uh, number seventeen, is Aharanang Niroda, the cessation of the nutriments. We're running out of food. <laughs> Ahara is food. So it's like the the ending of uh, the nutriments. Uh, it's also the that which feeds identity. Vinyana niroda, the cessation of consciousness. Uh, 
Abhedikayo Nirodi Sanya Vedana Sitira Hangsu Sabha Vupa Vupasa Misu Vupasa Mingsu Sankara Vinyanang Atang Agama The body breaks up, perception ceases, all feelings become cold, mental activities become still, consciousness comes to an end. Nanye Dhamme Bhavisanti when there will be no other phenomena. Vosana, the finish. Raga dosa moha kaya, the destruction of lust, anger and delusion. Tanha kaya, the destruction of craving. Tanha sankaya, the annihilation of craving. Tanha asesa viraga nirodo chago patinitsugo muti analayo. The remainderless cessation of craving, the giving up and relinquishing of it, freedom from it, non-reliance upon it. Upadana Sankhaya, the annihilation of attachment. So the next section is called Truth. Satya, the truth. Amosadhamma, that which doesn't have a false nature. Asam, asamoha, that which is free from delusion. That uh, Amosadhamma is an interesting um, uh, term, it uh, comes in this very significant sutta in the Majjhima Nikaya, the sutta number 140, which is the uh, uh, Datu Vibhanga Sutta, the um, exposition on the elements. And in that, uh, the Buddha actually calls Nibbāna as the supreme noble truth. So yeah, there's actually five noble truths. <laughs> and, uh, and then he uses um, this term, Amosadhamma, that uh, as a, his definition for nibbana is that which does not have a deceptive nature, that which is undeceptive. Um, so that uh, and he says that's the supreme noble truth is the truth of nibbana. So uh, there's many many aspects of that uh, Datu Vibhanga Sutta that are interesting, but uh, that's one uh, one particular uh, part of it. This is not a very common term, but um, it's also a, an interesting way to reflect on Nibbāna as that which is undeceptive or which is reliable. So, asamoha, that which is free from delusion. So then, the next section is called coolness. Nibbāna, the extinguishing or the quenching. Nibhuti, the quenching or the allaying. Sitibhava, the state of coolness. Ajalita, that which does not burn. Kayasabeda udhang jivita pariyadana idheva sabhavedayitani anhabinantitani siti bhavisanti sarirani avasisanti. At the breaking up of the body, following the exhaustion of life, all that is felt, not being delighted in, will become cool right here. Only physical remains will be left. So then the next section is called highest. Agga, the highest. Parama, the ultimate. Parnita, the sublime. Anuttara, the unexcelled. Uttama, the supreme. Vara, the excellent. <clears throat> By the way, the, the word for monk in Thailand, pra, um, comes from the word vara. So, pra. Ahimsako would be the excellent. Ahimsako. Pra. Indapanyo. The excellent Indapanyo. So. <clears throat> Not that all monks are excellent, but that's the. 
as in all, not all gentlemen are gentle. Not all ladies are ladylike. So. <laughs> but that's, the, that's where the word pra, P-H-R-A, comes from in, in, in Thai usage, vara. So then the last three sections, the goal. Uttama atta, the supreme goal. Parayana, the destination. Atang mahantang gambirang dudasang nipunang anung. The goal that is great, profound, hard to see, subtle and fine. Susum, susukumang punata, the goal which is very fine and subtle. Achantanita, the absolute conclusion. Achanta pariyosana, pariyosana, the absolute end. Brahmacharya pariyosana, the end of the holy life. And the next little section is called Wonderful. Acharya, the wonderful. Abhuta, the amazing. Siva, the auspicious, or the best, the blessed. And then the last one, subtle. Sududasa, dudaso, that which is very hard to see. Duranubhodho, that which is hard to understand. Nipuna, that which is subtle. Anu, that which is fine, that which is minute. Sukuma, that which is delicate, or that which is fine. Gambhira, that which is profound. Pandita Vedanya, that which can be experienced by the wise. And the very last one, Ragarata na Dakinti, Tamokandena Avata. It is not discerned by those delighting in lust, wrapped in darkness of ignorance. So my apologies for my butchered Pali, but the, many of these words are not particularly familiar to me uh, at all. But, um, just to give you a full sort of catalogue of, uh, of these kind of terms. And it's interesting going through that whole uh, range. Some have the flavour of, say, um, things being exalted and you know, super positive and uh, glorious, and others have the, the flavour of, of ending or termination. Um, some have the, um, <coughs> the, the, the quality of... Uh, kind of brightness and um, uh, some have the quality of, of freedom and then the, the last section of that of, of subtlety of being very uh, very hard to see so if you take all those 155 different <laughs> expressions it's uh, to me it's, it's kind of uh, interesting how that paints this this very comprehensive and multifaceted picture and so that uh, uh, and looking at that list, and any one of those terms, or just taking a, you know, one or two of them, just say, ah. Oh. So, how does that sit in my mind? Or, or maybe as I was reading those out, something just said, oh, that's interesting, or what? <laughs> and uh, those can be very uh, useful, beneficial to, to contemplate. Okay, what's that? What's that talking about? How is that? Uh, you know, that say the quality of things being un- nirvana being undeceptive or very hard to see. Uh, you know, how, how do those relate together? So uh, there's a lot there, obviously, but um, uh, that uh, uh, just being acquainted, getting to, to know some of those, uh, the range of terms and the, and the range of, of flavors that are there, they're all pointing towards this um, same, uh, same quality. 
Yes. Yes. Did, did, uh, is this kind of description from Tathagata itself or, or like a disciples or someone else describing his like this or like if, if Tathagata described himself as a wonderful, calm, and peaceful, I think it sounds a little like a, like a calm person doesn't say that I am calm. <laughs> Or like uh, if if this uh, qualities descri- were described by like a disciple or someone else, does it mean that we kind of we project our quality onto uh, others? So like uh, like we connect to each other by some like common qualities inside innate. So does it mean that uh, we have like a kind of a capacity to if I can, if I can describe Tathagata as calm or peaceful, wonderful, or some good quality, like uh, it means that I have some kind of hidden quality <laughs> as a Tathagata. Ah, well, if, if I'm understanding what you're what you're asking, I think the certainly the the Buddha most of these these terms are, are from passages the Buddha has spoken himself. And so he's talking about you know, when uh, when the mind is liberated, when the mind is is fully uh, awakened or freed of greed, hatred, and delusion, then it has these qualities or these these terms apply. Whether it's uh, quote unquote his mind or somebody else's mind, it's just these are the qualities the mind has. So it's he's he's not taking it personally um, uh, or making a, 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 a kind of egotistical claim, but rather. When the mind is free of greed, hate, and delusion, it's like this. <laughs> Whether it's this mind or that mind, it's that this. This is how the, the mind is, and so all these different um, terms, like uh, all the different, giving different, uh, um, say, angles of approach, like speaking about it, like the further shore, or the, or free, you know, the freedom from dependency. You know, that, <clears throat> and I talk about that in a little bit. That uh, I think one of the reasons why he used such a big range of terms is that uh, different things are meaningful for different people. They resonate. And so when somebody might not be able to, uh, uh, say, have any connection with the idea of um, freedom from reliance, they might really be very uh, at home with the idea of you know, the wonderful. Like the the uh, the term, you know, the wonderful says yes, that's right. But freedom from reliance, well, what's that? That's, that's not interesting. I, you know, doesn't have a, it doesn't catch. So that uh, different um, expressions, I think, were, uh, were used in different situations. And the, the 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 Buddha's teaching, in order to help people, he's he's speaking to something in them that. Hopefully, can understand and can resonate with what he's saying, so that these these words are all coming from a dialogues of the the Buddha speaking to groups of, of people, so that they are put out there in the in the aim to touch that those different uh, people and to to reach uh, them in, in whatever ways they can, so that. Uh, if there was no hope for beings to be liberated, then he wouldn't be teaching. <laughs> that was anyway, this that's, leads us right on to our next passage.
I'll just because it all it, this all relates um, <coughs> to the same area. So I'll just read the um, this next passage in the commentary that we have here. These terms are always of referring to the same essential and ineffable quality. Such a variety of expression was needed since even the Buddha acknowledged that it was hard to convey the realization of truth in words. He describes the time shortly after his enlightenment. And we read this out yesterday as well. I considered, this Dhamma that I have realized is profound, hard to see and hard to understand, peaceful and sublime, unattainable by mere reasoning, subtle to be experienced only by the wise. But this generation delights in worldliness, alaya, takes delight in worldliness, rejoices in worldliness. It's hard for such a generation to see this truth, namely specific conditionality, idapachayata, dependent origination, samupada, And it's hard to see this truth, namely the stilling of all formations, the relinquishing of all attachments, upadhi. The destruction of craving, dispassion, cessation, nibbana. If I were to teach the Dhamma, others would not understand me, and that would be wearying and troublesome for me. This insight of the Buddha was deeply prescient, for indeed worldly people frequently found his teachings unacceptable. For example, in his encounter with Upaka, previously quoted, and in the passages in chapter 5 below. Fortunately, Shortly after this thought formed in the mind of the Buddha, he was persuaded to teach, and did so freely from then on. He travelled widely through the northeast of India, Jambudipa, and spoke on invitation to whomsoever was interested to hear his teaching. As he travelled and met people, the Buddha was concerned to get his message across as effectively as possible. In order to do this, he employed a variety of ways of speaking, one of his styles of expression was the juxtaposition of perhaps half a dozen nouns or adjectives, such as various epithets for Nibbana, with overlapping or mutually resonant meanings. Examples of this style can be seen both in the passage um, uh, up above, that was say, um, the stilling of all formations, relinquishing of all attachments, destruction of craving, dispassion, cessation, Nibbana. So that kind of string of... of uh, of um, descriptive terms and that's very very common you have like half a dozen or even sometimes even more maybe 10 or 12 different different terms just all lined up uh, against each other with overlapping or mutually resonant meanings examples of this style can be seen in that passage uh, and also below there are several different reasons for such a manner of speaking firstly it offers a constellation of meanings so that out of the related words, the listener would be more likely to receive at least one that reached their heart. The Buddha almost always used a variety of terms rather than defining a quality with a single standard expression. So another uh, similar um, instance that people are familiar with in the Dhamma Chakapawatana Sutta, the Buddha's first discourse, then he says, Chakung Udapadi, vision arose, Nyanang Udapadi, knowledge arose, Panya Udapadi, wisdom arose, Aloka Udapadi, light arose, Panya Udapadi, so wisdom arose. So you've got all of those different uh, terms, vision, knowledge, wisdom, light, yeah. and so they, they are all sort of overlapping a little bit, they're all a little bit different, 
they're all related to, to light and seeing and vision and understanding and and so uh, in that same kind of instance that someone uh, would, uh, uh, would say relate more to one to one to, than, than to another but that that kind of long string of adjectives or um, or nouns is is a, a very characteristic style of the Buddha secondly and this was the theory of Venerable Ananda Maitreya, a knowledgeable and highly respected Sri Lankan elder who spent his 70th reigns retreat here at Amravati. He was 90, uh, and he spent his 70th vasa here trying to teach us Pali and Abhidhamma. Pali was popular, Abhidhamma was not. <laughs> <laughs> so what, Pali I, uh, what little Pali I know is mostly from uh, Venerable Ananda Maitreya's um, classes, and he... <coughs> He was uh, uh, he was sort of writing this Pali introduction to Pali course uh, as he was here, and so you'd be up to midnight most nights, sort of uh, writing away. And four o'clock in the morning, he'd always be there for the the um, morning meditation. <coughs> so the this theory of Venerable Ananda Maitreya was because the Buddha was speaking to highly variegated audiences, not only people from all four castes from illiterate farmers to erudite pundits, but also people from many regions and speaking many dialects. So the Buddha traveled throughout uh, northeast India, but uh, there were people from Magadha and Kolya and Vangsa and uh, Uttarakuru, kind of all these different countries around uh, the northeast of India. So each would have their own languages and dialects and, and uh, different expressions. So the Buddha then, uh, as uh, as uh, Venerable Ananda Maitreya theorized, uh, <clears throat> he needed to put out a variety of terms, otherwise large sections of the audience might miss the meaning of what was being expounded. As a teacher, the Buddha excelled in taking into account the faculties, dispositions, and conditioning of his listeners, and on that basis alone, Venerable Ananda Maitreya's theory makes a lot of sense, at least to me. So uh, <clears throat> it might be that in in Vangsa, they would use the term... Chakung for for vision or like a, 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 an understanding, but in Magadha they would say Jnana uh, that they would use, and so that uh, he put put out a string of terms because that's what the um, the locals would use. It's like if you are teaching in Amravati, <laughs> you've got people from many different nationalities, or uh, in this country you'd you'd use terms that you know. Oh, okay, uh, <clears throat> down in the the south, or say speaking. Uh, um, I was teaching in America for a long time, so they have a whole different um, vocabulary. So uh, they don't have pavements, they have sidewalks. They don't have motorways, they have highways. Uh, and so on and so forth. I won't bore you with all of that. <laughs> but you have to learn the dialect. Uh, and but also there's going to be a few Brits in the, in the, um, uh, in the audience as well. And so also William Shakespeare did the, the, the employed the same kind of um, style in his in his plays, and so he'd, he'd mix together terms that were sort of uh, intellectual or um, refined with with a common language as well, so that both the the, the kind of high high ranking educated uh, types would could resonate with the message he was he was putting across, as well as the um, the the uh, the illiterate. Most of the people who are going to those plays couldn't read or, you know, and wouldn't understand words. So, that, say for example, here's one I prepared earlier. 
So in a passage from Macbeth, where Macbeth is uh, <clears throat> the uh, uh, contemplating the blood-stained hands and, and having um, murdered uh, the king, uh, Duncan, and um, is sort of reflecting on his... Um, uh, the the uh, the the blood that's on his hands, figuratively speaking, and he says, uh, "With all great Neptune, uh, will all great Neptune's ocean wash this blood clean from my hand? No, this my hand will rather the multitudinous seas incarnadine, making the green one red." So you've got a term like multitudinous seas incarnadine. So I can tell a few people going, "Huh." So what? Um, <clears throat> but uh, and then you have just following it up, making the green one red, like the sea, <laughs> making the green sea red. Like incarnadine means to make it the color of blood. So uh, he would use a fancy term to to impress the royals and the the high society people, and then a a kind of follow up term that ordinary folks can understand, so that he wouldn't just lose um, lose people in the kind of flowery language. So I feel that um, that same uh, principle is a style. There's many other aspects of the Buddha's teaching. He, use, he uses, as we know, a lot of lists. You know, seven factors of enlightenment. So if you can only, if you can only remember six, you know, there is one more. There is one more. Now, what is that sixth one? Yeah. What's that seventh one? Right, okay. Well, the, eight fa- the factors of the Eightfold Path. Okay, I've got five of them now. What are the other three? You know, you know there's eight because it's called the Eightfold Path right now. You can, you can remember five of them, but, but you know you've got, if you keep racking your brains, okay, now we've got all, all eight. So he used lists to, to help us to remember. Um, and also he used a lot of similes, like graphic images, because the mind easily remembers pictures. And, uh, and so that he would use... Uh, a lot of uh, similes in his teaching, whether he was talking to farmers or talking to royals, or you know, use similes of say a soldier on the battlefield, or we talk about the looking after cows, how to to take care of um, uh, treating cows' illnesses, and and uh, looking after the welfare of your cattle and so forth. If he's talking to farmers, so this this uh, particular style of using a lot of different terms is part of. The, the Buddha's brilliance in his sort of teaching methodology, and uh, and I feel that and Venerable Ananda Maitreya was not just an ordinary scholar. He spoke thirteen or fourteen different languages. He could converse in Pali. When he met, when he met um, uh, Tonkalu Sayadaw, they, they, between the two of them, they had way more vassals than the entire Chithurst monastic community put together. <laughs> so the two of them met in, in 1980 or 81 at Chithurst. And Tongpalu Sayadaw couldn't speak any English, and, and, it didn't, and uh, Venerable Ananda Maitreya didn't speak Burmese, so he talked to him in Pali. <laughs> he addressed him in Pali. And it was, it was kind of a wonderful moment, because they were all sort of gathered around these two ancient... Uh, wrinkled, uh, berobed beings sort of greeting each other. And so Venerable Ananda Maitreya said, um, uh, you know, <coughs> said uh, how, many, how many reins do you have? Um, and uh, he was at that point, I think he had something like uh, 60, uh, 68 reins or something. 
And the uh, venerable, venerable Tongpalu Saido said, yeah, I also have 68 reigns. <laughs> and they, they said, well, so what was the date of your ordination? They're trying to work out who's going to bow to who. <laughs> <laughs> so if you put all of the reigns together of the rest of us, and I think you even had 68 amongst you know, all the rest of us. I think Lungpul Samedo only had about 14 at that point. So then it turned out that uh, Venerable Ananda Maitreya, was, or, he was ordained at Visakha Puja, the full moon of May, and Venerable Tongpalu Sayadaw was, was ordained earlier in the year, so that Ananda Maitreya, he was like 68 reigns, kind of gets down on the floor. <laughs> doesn't get to bow to many people. He was very happy to bow to Tongpalu Sayadaw. So he had a, an extraordinarily um, comprehensive knowledge of, of the scriptures, could speak, as I said, 13 or 14 different languages. And he could recite the whole uh, whole books of the, the Tipitaka. He could recite the entire Mahavaga. Uh, so he was an extraordinary scholar. So the, I take his, his uh, perception on this very, very um, uh, seriously. I think it's, it's a very, um, it's not just a neat theory, but I think it's a very well-informed theory as to why the Buddha spoke in this kind of a way. And if you if you think of the, the the living situation of the Buddha teaching with the range of languages and experience, then you could see that oh yeah, he'd put things out in different ways so that uh, the the point being that people can understand what he's trying to communicate. So, um, kind of begs the question: Why did Nibbana become such a ubiquitous term? How did that? Happen? It's one of many ways of describing, and it's become a thing. Isn't it? mm-hmm. <laughs> Pet theories. Yeah. Well, uh, um, uh, going back to what we were saying yesterday about um, the imagery of fire and coolness, um, and how, because as a summoner, as a, like as a yogi, that to, to talk about coolness rather than heat. You know the tapas as the sort of as the 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 goal of the, the yogi's life and the sort of the currency of a of a of a great yogi is to have a lot of tapas. Maybe it was because that was such a, a sort of startling uh, contrast to what, what the others were talking about. It became sort of the, the the way people spoke. I mean, and it's it's how things get adopted as particular terms is a very mysterious mm-hmm. process. Sometimes. You know, like a, a passing comment by some, you know, <clears throat> by some actor, you know, or one phrase in a particularly well-loved story, that becomes the, you know, the 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 um, uh, the a, a term that sort of survives forever. I'm trying to rack my brains for something to, that uh, you could <clears throat> you could use that. Um, uh, Like say you know you could you could uh, well go ahead yeah. go ahead Ajahn you're going to say something. Well, I just wonder whether the word nibbana is used more frequently than the others, so that it sticks out. Um, well, as a venerable Nyanutusita says, it, it it's it's the most common, and I think it's over the years it's um, it's become. He says, uh, uh, 
It should be noted that Nibbāna is not necessarily the primary epithet given for the final aim of, of Buddhist practice, although it is the most commonly used one. Because the things sort of gather a strength to them, and um, they, they, they have a, a particular... Um, it's just uh, you know maybe the the kind of karmic effect of of a um, like a a, <coughs> a particular phrase or a, a, a particular style um, like I was saying that Theravada is is a, is not the, the an ancient term it's a you know that we call we use Theravada to refer to this kind of Buddhism but it uh, uh, in the earliest times this particular strand was called Vibhajavada. When you say Vibhajavada, you go, huh? So that's what you are, you're Vibhajavadins. Like, me? What? So, uh, uh, but I'm not sure. I, there are probably all sorts of theories about it, but uh, I do see that how um, sometimes just the particular use of a, of a certain term kind of defines a whole group uh, or a, uh, like a whole movement. Um, it'll, I'm sure, come to me when I'm brushing my teeth or putting my sandals on, some, some good examples, that, uh, but uh, nothing is springing to mind. But um, it, it can be that a, um, just uh, that becomes a, um, a kind of a popular reference point, just because it's sort of caught people's attention and it's a way of referring to that, uh, that specific aspect of a, of a teaching. I mean, on, on a very worldly level, you could say something like, uh, Python-esque you know when you say the, if, like in English say something that, that reminds you of Monty Python so a python is a snake it's got nothing to do with comedy <laughs> originally but if you use a, a term like you know, it's sort of Python-esque humour then most people in this country would know oh it's a kind of absurdist slightly intellectual kind of wacky but gen- genuinely funny um, and uh, <coughs> you know, unpredictable kind of humour and so, it's 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 originated from a snake. Like, you know, where, where did Monty Python come from? It's just a, a bunch of these Cambridge graduates sitting around, coming up with a, a few a few comedy sketches. Well, what do we call ourselves? Someone probably after a few drinks says, "How about Monty Python?" <laughs> what? <laughs> well, why not? And then. I mean, I wasn't there, and I haven't heard that. <laughs> I haven't heard that as a story, but I can. Hear, I've been enough rooms full of boozed-up university graduates. <laughs> to know it. it probably just got thrown into the air as a passing thought, and it becomes the term that refers to a whole sort of genre of of humour, and uh, and so that uh, and it, it was just a, a random comment, but it's, it's sort of grown to. To be a a you know, a, a, a term that uh, everybody uses, and that the the um, the it, my uh, suspicion is that the um, um, the the use of nibbana as a sort of key term, it might have just started in that way that the, the Buddha uses it a few times, and then it sort of catches people's attention, and that becomes the the thing that that. Uh, people use as the the main sort of currency, and then once once it starts being used, or people ask about it, then <laughs> it gathers its own life. I'm sure there's PhDs have been written about it. Probably.
Arjun, the, um, when you read out um, the lists, I was really pleased that, that somebody put down compassion on there because when I looked through the island, I couldn't see in the index ring, and I thought, well, the Buddha must have compassion because he's driven by the desire to help all them beings, you know. So I looked up, a little while ago, I was researching the word compassion at Karuna, and Vasubandhu describes it as um, a mind or a heart disturbed by the suffering of others and dependent on that amount of drive that that creates. Um, one's actions may occur following, like when Arjun Mahabhava cried, you know, and half the Thailand said, well, how can he be an enlightened being because he's cried, you know? And he said, well, I can really see the suffering. My heart's really pure and soft. When he gets that, I can't block it, you know? But people didn't get that, but you know, a heart pricked by suffering, and Buddha actually feels that. It isn't, you know, just pushing things away and having a, a peaceful, blank mind of your very own, but the heart is still so pure and hurt by that. So he's driven, isn't he? Well, that's what that, that word, anukampang, uh, uh, the trembling for the welfare of all beings. But another one of the, the epithets was that which is not trembling. <laughs> so there's both trembling and not trembling. Because <laughs> so, the, the, the greatest compassion, I would say, is, uh, is also uh, not, cr- not seeing things from a position of self-view, not like me helping you. I'm having compassion for you because the, the mind so easily creates that self-other dynamic. And it's uh, if it, as long as that's embedded in the perception of things, then there's still um, a, a, a discord. There's still a, a disconnect in uh, in, to, in some to, in some degree. And if you drop the self, then you can't block your either, I suppose. Our reaction to stopping ourselves from helping somebody that's suffering is, I'm not getting involved, but if the eye's not there, there's no wall, is there? So the person would really feel that suffering when they saw it. Yes, and if, if involvement is, uh, in, engagement is useful, they'll do that, and if engagement is not useful, then they'll not do that. Yeah. Speaking of engagement, it's now after 7 o'clock. So we can end there for today. Oops, I'll leave this for people to look at.